2: Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is Yoav Siegel. Welcome to the show. Hi, uh, thanks for having me. Great to be here. My pleasure, my pleasure. Now, this is an unusual um, show for me, because it's a very specific part of film and TV making that we're going to do, where you you did the uh, the opening title sequences of Once Upon a Time in London, Grad, And um, we're going to talk about the art of... of um, opening sequences which is fascinating to me because it's not something i've ever drilled down into recently i had an editor on i've had a music supervisor on and i remember i remember a while back while covering fright fest i wrote a better review of the opening credits for the film than the film mm. itself it was kind of one of the moments where i was like and then you look and some, and then you see somebody else completely separate to the film has done this so you kind of go oh that's why that that works so well but the, sadly the film wasn't wasn't up to scratch, and 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 there's a bit of sort of background, I suppose. The the style that that uh, once upon a time in undergrad is sort of is is a sort of um, soul bass Russian propaganda art. The sort of would, would, would you say a, a big influence is on on that particular one?
3: Yeah, so uh, once upon undergrad is the title sequence for a show about uh, Putin sponsored murders in the UK, specifically fourteen that all link back to Putin's kind of influence campaign against the West. And this all kind of happened before the, the Ukraine invasion. Mm. Um, and we had, we had some different prompts for style. So the TV director of the series really wanted to have the first murder and the, a blood trail coming from that murder, and then set up lots of the themes and issues of the piece, and have that blood trail go back yeah. to Putin. The book that it was based on was called uh, From Russia With Blood, as a riff on, like, a Bond theme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had Bond titles as a reference point with all their uh, falling silhouettes, bold colors, sharp lighting, clever compositional stuff. We also had uh, constructivist propaganda, all the Russian stuff, that we borrowed palettes, some kind of uh, design and graphic methods from. Um, And... And that was the milieu we were working in. Hmm. Um, and we wanted to just make something really bold and kind of its own thing. Um, so we kind of we brought that all together with 2D and 3D animation and uh, did what we did. Now,
2: obviously, we're going to get into sort of more general conversation about, about how you go about making um, title sequences. But going back to, going back to this sh- the once upon a time in London, Grad, um, with all those ideas floating around, they can't all fit into 60 seconds of
3: action, can they? And... The- so how how well, you- well they do and they have to. It's a weirdly hyper compressed format. So we te- we had fourteen cards maybe, and we set up the first murder, the murder on the train, the murder on the street, uh, that flowing back to Parliament, the money, rich dirty money spreading around London, mobsters being in London, that linking back to international crime, that linking back to Putin. You you can you can pack a oh no no no
2: I'm not I'm, I'm not saying it's not there I mean I mean it's just like it's,
3: no no it's kind of part of the exercise
2: yeah it's sort of like drilling that you know doing because obviously it's still got to work as a piece of as a piece of visual entertainment hasn't it as well as well as what everyone says they want versus sort of what you want yeah
3: what it has best. to like the brief I suppose was to um, to make some mysterious intriguing exciting thematically set up the pieces without giving away too much. Um, and set a tone and feel. I think mm. one of the main things that, you know, if you look at Bond, as soon as you're through a Bond titles in the film, you're, you, you know, like you're ready as an audience. Mm. You've got this wonderful atmosphere. It's incredibly sophisticated. There's class and danger. You've kind of had time to just kind of bed into the cinema. Um, so titles in general fulfill a really interesting role, especially they're authored by someone else. But they'll, the person authoring it will have a really tight brief, almost always.
2: And, and it, um, I guess it must have been—it must have been like pennies from heaven for like to have a colour scheme where the Russian flag is red, white, and blue, and obviously the Union Jack is red, white, and blue. So you, as you're watching the images morph in, you can almost like use the colour coding, can't you, to sort of?
3: Yeah, and the whole Russian thing is you don't you 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 twig it quite late, but because it's constructivist and because we've got the the blue, white, and red. Well, you've actually got the Russian thing from the very beginning, mm. um, and so hopefully tonally, that's kind of exists within the piece. All those kind of uh, all those deliberate things you're mashing together, I suppose, end up with with something bespoke and distinct. Mm. Um, and I'm quite a big fan of having quite tight um, boundaries to work within, uh, because then you're kind of <coughs> pushing against. The, if you could just do anything, I, could, I just you, you you run the risk of drowning in it.
2: Yeah, no. I'm, um, I'm always remembering of a, of a friend of mine doing a. It was just a photography project, and they were told they were they were doing it in some London college, and it was like, go out and take photographs. Of the lampposts was what they were told, and they came back with some brilliant images of <laughs> London. Whereas if they'd been told take pictures of London, it, it would it wouldn't have you know it they could have been interesting, I suppose. But
3: yeah, that's that's actually an Aristotelian thing. The um, the obstacle is the path. It's a whole kind of i think it's in poetics and it's kind of it's a very old theory of how to find like what you're trying to do is to kind of go at the obstacle rather than like um be put off or annoyed by it being there you kind of accept it and then try to find the best thing you've got to work with um there's like i work a lot in theater yeah and theater is just just a you know a a mountain of, of specific things you have to handle like the space, the lighting potential, where the rigs are, the, how many actors you have, the weight the stage can take. And so um, great things happen because of confinement.
2: Do you know, I didn't know that's where it came from, because I, I do I do an exercise with short storytelling where I pick a book and then every day, every morning, the next photograph is the inspiration for the story. So
3: oh, That's nice.
2: So you don't know what you mean. I kind of know what I'm going to get, but... I don't choose the photograph. The photograph chooses me. It's like what's on the next page, and then oh, I just spend nice. forty-five minutes stream of conscious, coming up with characters and a story. It's never, it's never a finished piece of work, obviously, but it's a great way to sort of get the subconscious juices flying, flowing. I think. Well, look, sir, let's get into your five sort of observations, sort of advice about about um, opening title sequences. Um, I'm going to use me five times five, and rather conveniently, you give me five headings to work from. I'll prompt you with them, and for the listener that's not heard the five times five font before, when we get to the end of five minutes on each on each heading, we will hear, which is the iPhone dog bark for uh, just for, so people know what it is, <laughs> and we'll, I'll be setting the clock running when I announce the first one. Now, uh, the first the first heading I've got is. Making titles is about refined storytelling. Do you want to sort of expand on that for us?
3: Yeah, so we dipped into it beforehand. Actually, the refined storytelling is is really all that um, obstacles and specific landmarking and goalposts that we just went through. Mm. It's about um, it's about responding to a very tight brief and then trying to be make something extremely creative that's also very compressed in a short period of time that will um, that will hook people in, set up a tone. Uh, create loads of atmosphere, seed some ideas about the program that you're going to get whilst not giving stuff away, kind of cliffhanger a little bit. And the refinement comes in and kind of working on different fronts. So you've got the story piece. So there was this, you know, six part documentary series that tons of storytelling in. What, what are you going to fit in? How are you going to fit it in? You've got cards. So you're actually, you know, title sequences are, are mainly for titles. So what are all the different credits? how do you break them all down? Once you've broken them all down, how do you then break down the story into 10 to 15 cards, however many are going to fit in? And so in our case, we went from micro from like the first murder starting and then opening up the story, building it out and trying to set up thematic things and motifs the whole way through building to the big picture of all these blood trails going back to Putin. But, um, you know, in other titles, people are like the seven title that they're unwrapping a crime scene through all the different props and specifics and um, tight magnified things in catch Me If you can, you're going on a journey with him through all the characters that he plays and is in disguise. And then all the Saul Bass ones are just amazing kind of cut out um, abstracted parts of the characters and themes. So the big brief is to, it kind of boil down the story to its component parts and then artistically represent them um whilst telling a very short cogent story titles are their own short films I was gonna say you're you know, making
2: it sound like it's a visual synopsis in a way
3: no it is a title is its own short so uh if you're asked to do one you're you know you're an independent filmmaker making an independent piece that's going in someone's film it mm. really is like that um and so Bond ones are a great reference point because they'll use a different director, they'll tell them the themes, they'll probably read the script, they'll see a rough cut, they'll chat to the overall director possibly about all the different kind of visual stylings, what's the tone and feel, what's the atmosphere, they'll probably talk to the producers more. And then they'll go and make a film. Um, and then that film will be delivered and popped in <laughs> after the opening, opening sequence and before the film starts. Um, and hopefully it all fits together. And like your example, the horror festival, sometimes sometimes it doesn't or sometimes the title's more exciting, or sometimes or sometimes titles are worse. Or sometimes people, like, stylistically get something that's way off. Um, but it's a glorious format, um, and I've always adored it. Um, so it was wonderful to get the chance to make it.
2: Yeah, because, I mean, not, one of my favourites of late, and one that I never get bored of, and they've never changed it, is the Better Call Soul one, which has that abrupt ending to it, which is really, it's, it's, a, it's a hook in its own right, because the show is full of those cliffhanger endings. And they do it in the opening sequence where you think you're enjoying this dirty blues tune and it just cuts it short, like, like they broke it. Not, not, it doesn't feel on purpose. And then obviously, obviously you watch the next episode and it's, that's the style they've gone
3: for. And I'm not surprised that like lots of, often people hold on to titles of TV. Like it was really interesting when, um, Great British Menu, sorry to change, it's slightly lower. When they went to channel four, they have not touched the original title sequence, which I find I find absolutely amazing, um, and it's just reassuring for everyone they're watching the same show basically. See, well, I'm, I'm a, and fan. It's a stamp of approval.
2: Yeah, at least I'm a fan of Patriot, and between Patriot season one and season two, they changed the opening sequence, title sequences, and the new the second series is awful compared to the the first one. Well, is really...
3: I bet that piss off a lot of audience. American Detective they they change, but they do but the style is so baked in and similar yeah but then oh, that's i love big- all those those big american shows they do such killer title sequences Westworld, all that like they really go there the funny thing is also you have to spend a lot of money often the shows don't really have proper title sequences because um people don't sit through them on streaming and you've got to skip them sometimes you get a card now so in tv things are changing quite a lot of title sequences um but i'm, I'm obviously a big fan i th- i Mainly, as an artist, I'm a big fan. there's so much you can do with it, and it's interesting seeing what people do. There's a whole last year there are a whole um there were, okay there's on. the
2: dog, there's the dog. so moving on swiftly, number two is get inside the film's vision genre and intention. What do you mean by that
3: so the getting inside the vision was talking to the overall the TV series director, so a film you know a brilliant filmmaker, Jed Rothstein in this case, is making a six-part landmark investigative series mm. that is going to get lots of press and attention and interest and hopefully kind move the dial on some of the themes and issues it's talking about. And so, you know, you have to respect their vision, you have to get their vision, you have to communicate with them and find out what they want. So in, the, in his case, he wanted to, he wanted to unpack the story, he wanted to set up that it's like a murder investigation piece where you follow a trail, a blood trail, from the first murder and things open up and you go into this criminal underworld that's full of Russian money, all in London, as, you know, goes through Parliament. And if you chase all those things back, you get to Putin. Mm. Um, So that was the story thread he wanted to be. Also, he wanted to visually have a murder and blood trickling down into the criminal underworld and us following that blood. And then in a genre piece, you had Bond. So Bond was a big reference piece, reference because... Because of the book name, because kind of the from, from Russia of love. There's lots of those themes in the Bond pieces and kind of international crime and international they, international spy criminal and stuff. bad guys yeah. and spies and like yeah. the underworld. Um, but then also we wanted to be in you know a noirish kind of world that we capture, um, and and we wanted to capture Russia in it and have quite a strong stamp. So that goes back to all the references we pulled. Um, and how it's, and it's how you pull them together and do something distinct, putting a kind of, um, a piece of Russian kind of punk music on top of it was an inspired decision by actually the production company. Um, and so us working to that track, it gave it loads more personality, uh, and just having that, that kind of punk audio space maybe all those genres sit without being kind of cheesy or without them being kind of too close to reference because mm. you you want to you want to you want to carry your references lightly to a certain extent you want them to be there and to inform you but you to kind of arrive at a new space and also do, do something new so lots of the techniques we use maybe we get on to um were quite fresh techniques in 3d and using 3d space 3d camera moves or knocking the, the work into 2d mm. so this kind of quite physical space that we move a camera through whilst the pieces still feel things like Bass could have cut them out and stuck them on something, or they could have been those kind of bold uh, print, like screen print lines you'd get in uh, the Russian artwork and propaganda. Um, another genre I suppose we were working with was that kind of propaganda piece that you got in the Russian stuff. And um, Shepard Fairey does brilliant stuff with with the Bay in all of his posters and artworking.
2: I mean, you, def- you definitely definitely um, get the sense of of the... The, the strong narrative is what you want to get out of this. It's not you're not thinking, oh, this is a documentary. You you, you if if it started off as a drama, following when them t- when that title comes up, you wouldn't be surprised. But obviously, the nature of the drama, the the real drama of the true story being told, doesn't need to be dramatized in a way. And the the titles end up being a tease of that, don't they? As opposed to
3: yeah, yeah, in a big way. <clears throat> um, it's quite a dramatic doc series though, hmm. so it's also trying to tee up kind of the, the scale and ambition of the of the series you, i've seen amazing doc animation stuff kind of in that style mm. Ports with Bashir, and there's some nice stuff in sugarman um i think that uh, i think it's quite a brave decision putting something like this on the front of a doc series because it is kind of um it's unexpected mm. so after the cold open you're not expecting kind of a, a really hyper dramatized genre 2D, 3D mashup um for the titles. Um and I think hopefully that creates a real nice anticipation for for the episode the audience gonna watch.
2: Yeah, I mean that, I guess I guess ultimately that's the key, isn't it? Is that you're you're wetting the appetite. You're not just providing some information and a few clues. You're actually trying to be part of the
3: Yeah. Also the it. thing you're trying to do is you're trying to be I suppose it was also trying to be cinematic. Hmm. So it was shot um, true widescreen, so it could have a kind of cinema life in some, in some kind of cut. Um, and so we were working full width and a kind of really wide title sequence just has loads of... Um, it just imbues the piece with lots of cinematic filmic quality. I don't know how to express that better. Um, it's it, just an it, it amazing allows, horizontal. Canvas. I was going to say
2: it allows you. It allows you that that left to right, right to left movement that you've got because there's yeah you're not having to just keep framing it. You're you're able to go into some action, aren't you? There's a lovely there's a lovely bit that that, that, that really stood out for me. That it just it, it's a tiny bit of detail, but when when the the, the cocktail glass emerges, the plane coming out of the mm. uh, it's really, really and the lovely. angles are you know that obviously that plays into the Russian propaganda is sort of. Lines, but actually, it's people going off to exotic locations, people drinking cocktails. Yeah, yeah. You know, at the same time, all you those know. lovely
3: angles. Yeah. yeah, we borrowed lots of that from the the Russian propaganda artwork. Lots of lots of wonky angles, cutting across with angles. Yeah. With that, all those shapes are brilliant. And yeah,
2: so well, this this leads us into n- number three, which is commit to a bold style.
3: So I think maybe we've covered quite a lot of that. Um, the style comes from. The start comes from working with your with your team, with the director, working on vision, and really understanding the genres and in your reference pieces. Um, and then, where, where, did, where did the something. music?
2: Because the music, like you said, the music is quite is quite a turn. So where, where the music that... was there from
3: the very beginning. So okay. when we got when we got contacted by the production company, they they had it. They like, you know, we're already thinking about. Uh, at that point, they had. The music that's on it is is actually a commission, a brilliant commission. I mean, mm. They like there was something they the production team had that was that was kind of Russian punky vibe, mm. but they couldn't go for 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 more. or another and they they just have that vision from the off so um the brief came with and this is the piece of music we really like don't have to use it but this is the kind of direction we were thinking and we're like that's wicked it's got tons of drama really propulsive it's got a nice punk kind of aggro energy it's got loads of um it kind of brings a lot of fun to the piece where it could be a bit po-faced mm um and i think and that's why i quite like the, that's why i really like the bond references cuz the bond ones you know the bond films ostensibly are about you know international crime and murder and blah, but they're not i mean they're fun exciting pieces so having that as a reference piece well you kind mean, of almost can, you kind mean, of almost
2: forget that lots of murders taking place in a bond film it's not the thing you well that
3: that, that that once the ukraine thing happened was a bit cuz we made it all before the ukraine invasion when obviously terrible things were happening with russia and with these murders but yeah um i'm i wonder how how we might have approached it if we'd had the commission like 6 months later yeah because um we might have worried about having fun with the piece and having fun with it visually hmm. um and doing something quite bold but no one flinched so we had that ready and then that all happened and everything went ahead as planned so and how how much you know how
2: many cooks have you got on this one you know what what input have you got once you start making it once you start presenting there's, still, there's quite
3: a lot of input. So you've got the exec producer, uh, Rise, who are making it, and the, and two producers who work on it. So mm. that's Teddy, Guy, and Kate. Um, some more of the team that help you out like with music and sending uh, the kind of audio quotes and a, like showing you the episodes. Then you've got the their series director who's got a strong vision. That was Jed. Mm. And then in my team, I've got um, Fraser, who's the animation director uh, for Cub, and he's working. With his, anim- his animation team, he's got a studio, and they've got a producer there called Ben. Mm-hmm. um But it's quite a small team. Like you can have quite like if I'd done this with uh one of the London studios or one of the VFX houses, you can be working with like ten to fifteen people across departments. Which um, is so why I actually quite like working with because it's quite a tight operation. Uh, but when I used to make TV commercials, which are even shorter than these, they're so like forty seconds long. You end up like having credits of like hundred people, so like film is an amazing thing. Um, Good lord!
2: But I'm just thinking in terms of as 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 you find the bold style out of the vision, genre, intention. You know how much tweaking goes on from those out. You know you've got those people directly the way working. You, on well, the way you find it.
3: the style is you work in you work in stages. So at the very beginning, you agree, you script it. Hmm. So I script it and it's like, this is what's going to happen. This is how your story folds into it. And then you kind of write out the tonal like atmosphere and kind of and agree that you'll, have, you'll agree what direction to going to be written. And then then we start bouncing references with the teams. And me and Fraser start bouncing lots of references, Bond. We look at stuff, we look at films, we look at constructive stuff, we look at bass. we look at other things happening in the space, we try stuff out, we share some with the production companies to make sure we're going in the right direction. And then he does style frames. So once it's scripted, he then, for each beat, for each card, he'll do a storyboard panel. Hmm. It's called a style frame because it's not just storyboarding, they are actually how it's going to look. So he kind of hops, it's it's a really good technique. He just skips storyboarding and doing mood stuff separately, style Hmm. kind of style mock up separately, and does it at the same time because it's short form. Um, so it's almost so, like a
2: flipbook version of the, of the title sequences. Well, right? no, no,
3: no. It's kind of how it's actually going to look. It's pretty ah. much how it's going to look. So ah. then we'll share like a third of like the actual panels with yeah. the production company. And they'll say, no, we can't do this. Don't do that. Change this bit too grainy, bit too sharp. What about, um, Oh, this is not technically accurate. Can we just go and check if, and then, and then you go in rounds of that. You have one picture for each moment. Everyone signs it off. And then three, Three to four weeks later, there's a pass on the animation.
2: Very perfectly timed as well. Now, this this I don't properly understand, so I'd be really interested to see what this this means in terms of the process. And I think you've probably talked around some of this already, but
3: number four, we've got
2: compartmentalised cards, images and moments.
3: So that's boiling down the episode story and the director's vision into the title cards. In, In the most boring sense... And this will happen on any title sequence, however big the film is, mm. and your you know, better course tool. So you're going to be given a Word document with plate one, studio name, plate two, exec producer name, slate three, director. And you're going to get given just like there are all these plates. If possible, give put them on one, one card each, and each has to have three and a half seconds. Mm. And then, And then you're like, oh, that's going to be like two minutes if you do it like that. And so you start doubling them up. You work out where to double them up. That's really important stuff for the production company. It's like painfully important because every title has a contract that the production company has signed with the people or or retrospectively. They will be represented in a certain seniority, in a certain context, with specific naming in a title sequence. Yeah. Um, okay. This so is, this is like real. This, this is like order is important because if the order, order name, uh, like size, prom- prominence, uh, word count, like line breaks, all sorts of things can be really, really specific. And so you're going to be given, I we will give them 14 or so, I guess. And at points we needed to double some up just because it would just, the, if you're having three and a half, if so, there might be an illegal agreement. You it ha- can't be sh- like one second because it goes and you can't read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you then have to pace it out. So you're pacing out those at the same time as pacing out the story. We need to see a murder. We need to see three murders before you get into the underworld. Before you see parliament. Before you see the like money, then mobsters, then international travel, then investigation come together, then Putin. So. So you get all the you've got all these different compartments that mm. already exist, and then you lay them on top of each other. So you lay, lay the card on your story, and then then you start to hone it. And before you know it, you're like, "Oh, we've got 14 cards. It says this on this. We have a picture behind. Is that what everyone agrees? Oh no, we can't have it that way round. Uh, or your animator's like, oh, those pictures aren't going to work. So you set them up. You move them around. You swap them about. Then you draw it, and you're like, mm, "The Parliament is should should go before the money actually." because it, you want it to flow. Oh, okay. And so you're just moving around these boxes and putting things in boxes and wait, and then, and then it cl- it clicks and then you animate it.
2: I mean, I know this isn't necessarily about, about creating title sequences that are unique, but what, what's the habit? I see this a lot with films. What's the habit of, of having lots of production company logos and distribution logos, and then immediately it jumps into the sequences and then they're written again, like the same information? Is followed straight
3: because up. they're contracted that because because it's contracted that you have to have those um, animated logos at the beginning of films, and it's also contracted that any in any title sequence or credit, the the company is also the studios also named. Yeah, it's it's it's. I've only so it's noticed just like, it over the. But it's but it's because the studios basically have a line in the contract saying whenever the film, it, whenever any credits of who's made the film are put out in any context we need to be in it at the top so there are credits at the beginning of the film as well as their things so they have to be there because that's that's the rules Them's the breaks
2: it's it's really interesting where where we start the conversation about working with the obstacles you're forever there's there's there's, there's the there's the brief and then there's these things that are just literally no, in your it, way it's a
3: it's a big it's a big lego thing but all filmers yeah I mean all film is like you write a script. And once you get into like serious, like budget, money, ambition, you write a script. Every line of it gets turned into a panel, and every panel gets broken down into design, design, costume, props, continuity, uh, makeup, and then they all have boxes. And so, for every second of film, fifty people have a box that they're they're you know lining up to be ready to go in the film. So that one second, like. A few seconds of films is perfect. That's so all like that is film. Like it's unpacking script things, and then you work. You know, you get your box ready, and everyone's box all ends up on screen.
2: Yeah, yeah. My, my a director I've been working with has been been explaining this to me about how there's versions of the script that I'm doing which are to be read. So therefore, there's an element of being entertaining in of itself. And then once we move from, from once we've got investors involved it then becomes the construction of the film which doesn't need any florid language it just needs to know who what it involves yeah, who it well, involves once it
3: goes into production once you are in pre-production every department every department head will break down the script themselves and will all have their own version that may well end up being an excel table or yeah, that's... Or, a, or a mood board or a wall of costume references or like catering for the week it's a beautiful thing when it when you're in really big ones like i trained at Pinewood in design and when you visit, when you, see, like, you, when you see what goes into making things on a scale, I was there when Charlie and Chocolate Factory was there, and it was just mind-boggling, the mechanics of just getting anything filmed. It's, it's like incredible stuff.
2: Your fifth point is to deliver with care, flair, and precision. What does, what does that add to what you've already told us about the process? That's
3: really the point. So all the other stuff, breaking down the director's vision, breaking down all the components, the legal, timing it all out, making sure everyone's card is in the right place, making sure all the story beats build up correctly. All of it is just setting you up in a place so you can do the reason you've got the gig and the reason it's being made. So you can do something bloody amazing. <laughs> and to do something really, really good, you need to give—not really care. You've got to want to do something magnificent because because everyone has to work incredibly hard and challenge themselves and to mash all those genres together and all the story and deliver on the vision and do it all in time quite quickly in one crisp minute with a specific punk track is hard. Um, My favourite kind of creative quote that I go to a lot is a Gustav Flaubert quote, which is, you need to be neat and orderly in life so you can be wild and chaotic in your work. And so all that work that we discussed being incredibly orderly and making a really neat starting point where you know all the boxes you're you're filling mm. and why and how and that will work. Then you start doing work and you try and do really exciting, daring work where you're all pushing against like the edges of your ability. So the animators are using tons of different CG, technical, sophisticated stuff. They're drawing in 2D, they're then taking all those into artifacts and using. Uh, particle and all sorts of different clever techniques and plugins to add 3d space they're doing 3d space and some r4d so that they're, they're creating this 3d 2d mashup they're moving their camera through it with particles and mist and dust in the air they're doing slow-mo moves with 2d characters they're they're whi- you know whipping angular lines they're just pushing it really hard they're working this really tight color palette they're just trying to do something creatively beautiful. And so all that work is setting you up to just do something hopefully new and fresh and eye-popping and kind of really creatively satisfying and that you'll all be proud of. And all that work, getting it into a neat place that happens on these massive films, and we're doing it in, in, in microcosm, that sets you up to do better, more exciting, more visionary work, basically. Um, and I'm now seven films, uh, I've done like seven or eight animations with the same guys. Hmm. And so we also had loads of shorthands. Um, and we all jumped at this because it's just such a lovely exercise making a title. And interestingly, it, we enjoyed it and it was as satisfying as all of us had hoped the title sequence like this would be but like, it is a great medium. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and I'm- it's really specific medium
2: and i think what's amazing having to- having obviously been given the sort of pre the preview materials understand what what some of the ideas that went into it and having talked to you is that if you if if anybody listens to this that ha- that's seen the credits before now goes back and watches the credits it's like see- it's like looking behind the uh, the wizard of oz, like seeing the wizard of oz behind the curtains because you can s- you can see some of these but actually even though you can see some of the key influences it still stands alone as its own as its own work of art
3: well, that's great because that—that's what you hope. Um, it's quite hard, actually, with with stuff that has strong reference points because you you can really get buried in them. Mm. Um, and the we, we we were also referencing. We've got a falling man. Mm. We've got a falling black kind of cutout silhouette shape. Yeah. So that kind of tracks back through. That's like a real idiom of uh, title sequences. So. Um, you know, recently you've got the flight attendant with those kind of shapes, then Mad Men. Then you keep going back, you've got uh, Casino, all those black silhouettes falling, the, mm. the Bastard yeah. in um, the Casino. Then you keep going back and you've got like saw Bass's Vertigo poster. And then you keep going back. And I remember we checked. It keeps going back further and further and further and further. And then you see the reference point that that comes from, from classical like uh, painting, like... And so we also wanted to have that very classic falling man silhouette, hmm. um, and that, which was dangerous because it exists in other titles, and you don't want to be um, you don't want to be cliched, you, want to be, you don't want to kind of be copying anything. But it's, it, was, it was like essential for the story. And Jed, the, the TV director, wanted, wanted us to have that kind of fallen man image, and you've got to get all those things right so it still feels new.
2: Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, then there's then there's that move between where you've got. A trope versus a cliche, because then a trope yeah, is powerful. Exactly, isn't it? is is
3: yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a classic motif. It's just we we kind of wanted to grapple with it because yeah. it, it's just it's a classic of the kind of um, crime investigation, and they're they're in bonds. Like we couldn't really stick clear of it. We we actually was a debate on whether we would dodge it or we would take it on, and and we took it on, and I'm really but but I think that it. I think
2: that's the fun of the creative process in a way because you can. St- well, you can see some of the references. You still see the the, the new work. And I'm, I'm always reminded of, I was lucky enough on time to be talking to a guy called Gaz Whelan, who's the drummer from Happy Mondays. I don't know if you know, you know the band. And he was telling, oh, yeah. he was, I was telling, I was talking, he was talking about some of the criticism or, you know, the critique of their work. And he said, when we went in to make our first album, he said, we went to make a Sly and the Family Stone album. And what <laughs> came out Brilliant. of it is Happy Mondays music. And that's kind of but if you if you you can still hear Sliner Family Stone in what they've done, but you wouldn't think it's a Sliner Family Stone album. And I think that's where everything's I mean, I can't remember the 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 it was the art professor I was reading. He was saying everything is a work in progress on the next, on the next work in progress. You know, there's
3: Dave Grohl, if you're talking about drummers, Dave Grohl's drumming, yeah, all of it's on disco. Yes, yes, I've seen him talk about it. Amazing, isn't it? Absolutely unbelievable! And when you do the it's all disco, like the intro sequences of drumming for disco tracks, and you're like, "Wow, that's nuts!" Uh, but that's what he was playing along to as a kid.
2: But it's but it's also because then then when you put that in, it's when you
3: put it, yeah, in you move context. it across to another thing and put it in with rock and create a new thing, and yeah, really exciting. Yeah, and that's kind of that's I guess- how you make this. It's always recycled. You can't be frightened of recycling things and putting them in new context because that's how new things happen. Uh, like I'm, I'm, if when I teach, they like you have to be careful. But all the all the big guys, they started off generally by like copying, like especially songwriters, they kind of copy a style and then they keep doing it, and then they find their own style and they move out of that. But mm. you you're, you know, as writers, people write genre, people like borrow styles, and then you get somewhere new.
2: I think I mean the the, the thing I keep hearing, and it's comforting to hear it, is that it's about taste. You know, the one thing we've got is our taste. So when we look or we read what we've done, we're, we're drawing on the things that we that make that have given us good
3: taste. You know, I mean, and that's a very subjective thing. The crucial thing is it's then taking taste and creating your own voice, and that's mm. incredibly hard. Um, and I think the people who have really powerful, distinct voices always succeed in any artistic genre, mm. and and it's and often that's just a little bit of magic. Um, yeah, we can't bottle that, can we? Not yet. You can't. You can't. There's nothing you can do to like be able to have a powerful like voice that is charismatic and people will respond to in a, in your work. That like that's like luck, skill, right place, right time, taste, all sorts of things, and and like loads of work.
2: Well, look, Yo, it's been a real lesson listening to you talk about what goes into title sequences. It's it's something that before this interview came up, it, it's it's you, you, it must be a horror to hear the skip button on uh, on streamers. This idea of all this work that might go into some of this work, and and there are there, there there are some that me and my wife will be skipping, but there are there are others that we look forward to. It's kind of a oh, weird, you... yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all skipping ones. I mean, we can't watch all of them. I mean, let's be true. Like,
2: yeah. Well, look, it just gives me to say thank you very much for giving your time on the Britflix podcast.
3: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.